Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Emma Gray is the internationally published author of five books spanning fiction, nonfiction, and memoir. She wrote her latest novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It was published by Penguin Random House in Australia and New Zealand and acquired by Zibby Owens in New York, who describes Emma as the next Helen Fielding, Sophie Kinsella, or Jojo Moyes. She wrote her YA novel, Unrequited, to show her Harry Styles-loving daughter that reading could be fun, then co-created a musical based on the story with Sally Whitwell, complete with disco balls and glitter cannons. When she's not writing, you'll find her on a country road in the dark, capturing the Aurora Australis with her camera, pottering in her cottage garden, and enjoying time with her three children and beloved puppy, Frank. Rachel S. Morgan is an award-winning fiction writer, screenwriter, and emerging television showrunner, a former entertainment journalist and recipient of the Josephine Ulrich Literature Prize. Her previous film and television credits include Wanted, Mako Mermaids, and The Bachelor. Rachel writes a lot of things, but has a particular penchant for drama that makes you laugh, comedy that stabs you in the feels, stuff that is high camp, and scary AF and historical fiction. If there's magic, pop stars, or vampires in the mix, all the better. She's soon to release the first book in a brand new rom-com mystery series through Daring Press and is currently developing a diverse film and television slate that includes her new dark comedy TV show, Disgraceful. Disgraceful is also her current novel work in progress because she doesn't think she has enough things on her plate. Rachel likes yoga, tattoos, and cheese, but not in that order. Mostly, the cheese comes first. Nina D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminists Natasha Stott Despoja and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022, and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Okay, so we've just already been having an interesting conversation, and I'm so glad (laughs) that we're back to a panel episode. And so we've got our regulars, as you would have heard in the intro, Nina Campbell, Emma Gray, and Rachel Morgan. And we're talking this week about something that's been coming up for us, and I would love to hear from each of you as to where you're at at the moment. We're talking about creativity in general. But also this bugbear, which is whether or not you need 
medication, depending on time of life or stress, or just maybe long term, you've needed it. Talking about taking something like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. When I say time of life, I'm talking about <laughs> perimenopause. There is a shockingly large number of quote unquote symptoms that overlap with things that seem mental, but in fact, they're part of a hormonal. So maybe just jumping into where do you see things overlapping with being able to be creative with and or without the help of a medication? Like an antidepressant. I guess I guess I should jump in first because it was it was my idea to talk about this. And I think I've white knuckled my way through and I was talking to a few friends about that notion that our generation, the sort of generation X generation, have a sort of sense that you should just, you know, power on, soldier on and get things done. And an uncertainty about these drugs that came into existence during our life, particularly if you're a creative, because you worry about whether or not those drugs are going to interfere with the sort of magic, the magic in your brain that makes books more interesting and more complicated and your ability to just channel words. So I had sort of been going through, and I think I've talked before about that, that thing of when the book was being published, my sister was sick and was basically died during that process. So there was this sort of huge emotional upheaval. We moved into state. We did a lot of moving from house to house, clearing through my family's things, which she had been the guardian of. And so there was a lot of emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. And and I find found myself sort of coming out the other end of the book promotional cycle, just feeling depleted and unable to access my creativity. And I tried lots of different ways to white knuckle it. And then I talked to a few people who said, oh, no, no, you can still be creative when you're taking antidepressants. In fact, if anything it's easier because you don't have that white noise. And so so then I started the process of trying to find a doctor who would hear me saying, you know, the mix of things happening in my life and the menopausal kind of hormonal situation, I'm finding myself with these mood issues. And I had two doctors, just it was as if I hadn't spoken. Like they just kind of skipped over those whole sentences and went, okay, well, I've given you your scripts and uh, I think that's about it. Okay, thanks very much. So it it was quite a, you know, at the time when you're feeling the most depleted, having to push through that um, medical miasma to find a doctor who would actually hear what I was saying and prescribe an antidepressant was quite challenging. I just thought there's so many things pushing us, particularly women of my generation, not to actually get that help and to take advantage of that that drug regime that's available that I really wanted to get out there and sort of say, hey, it's okay to do this and it's it's when you do it, it does not steal your creativity. It does not dull your emotional awareness. If anything, my emotions have become far more heightened and mm. clear, not dulled in any way. And the world has gone from being quite grey to being colourful again. And I hum and I sing and, you know, things that I just, I thought I had just gotten too old for. Wow. And yeah, mm. so it's been this really powerful process for me of empowerment. And I just thought, I don't want to be part of the sitting quietly in the corner saying to my best friends, oh, I take an antidepressant, as if it's something to be ashamed of. I wanted to get out there and say, if you're struggling, it doesn't stop your creativity. It doesn't interfere with your emotional experience of life. It can be an amazing gift to take you back to the person that you actually are innately. God, I love that. What about either of you two? What's your experience been like? Do you want to go first, Em, or I'm happy to jump in or...? You jump in, right? I, I think I'm a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, I I have been diagnosed with depression and anxiety a couple of times 
over the years. So I'm not a stranger to antidepressants and they have helped before and sometimes have kind of hindered and I've ended up not really liking being on them and, and found a way to come off them. I am on antidepressants at the moment, but it's it's interesting because I think we've spoken before on a previous podcast about neurodiversity and ADHD mm. and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I talked about my suspicion that I have ADHD, which I'm fairly certain of. And I finally have, uh, it, it, there's such huge waiting lists for psychiatrists up here in Queensland. And I, I was really, really struggling. And there is some overlap with, with some of the symptoms. And I think what was happening was the symptoms of my potential ADHD was what was causing my anxiety and my depression, right. not being able to mm. manage everything and just feeling so completely overwhelmed. And so I am on an antidepressant at the moment and it has, it has helped. I feel calmer and more in control. I don't think it is solving everything, but at the moment it's, it is helping me. I do. It, it's interesting you saying, Nina, that you don't feel like it's affected your creativity or your emotions. I feel a little flatlined, to, to be honest. I don't think it's affecting. I don't think it's affecting my creativity per se, but I don't feel sad. I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel chaotic. But I don't feel particularly. I mean, all three of you know me quite well. I'm. I'm. I can be very excitable and very, you know, <laughs> full on, and I talk a lot and get very excited about things and I don't feel I don't feel particularly excited mm. like heightened excited um, I'm, I'm noticing a difference in my personality and I don't know whether it's because I'm more truly who I am on whether when I'm not medicated <laughs> you're I'm not just, usually I'm excitable apparently I don't really know I'm, I'm actually um, I'm finding my focus is better mm-hmm. at the moment because I'm feeling a bit more in control so where my writing and my creativity is concerned, that's easier at the moment because I am juggling a a lot of things. I'm juggling a a feature film and a TV show. I'm doing line edits on a book. I'm about to head away and work on the new novel and plus working full time. And I'm not feeling completely overwhelmed by it all. And like, I can't juggle it. I'm, I'm able to just sit and kind of pace myself and take my time and, and feel, feel more in control. So I think it's helping from that perspective. I don't think it's affecting my creativity. I think because I'm feeling calmer, my my brain is still working and, you know, my my ideas are still, you know, I still have way too many ideas and uh, I'm not I'm not struggling to access anything that I'm needing for my writing. But emotionally I'm feeling kind of, yeah, maybe, maybe flatline is not the right word. I'm just, I'm feeling very calm and I'm used to feeling like an excited puppy most of the time. Well, maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's it. I was going to say quickly, just to, as an as an extra, obviously we're not recommending any particular antidepressants mm. and everybody see oh, of course your, so. your yeah, doctor. Yeah. But I would say this as well. It can be daunting not only to open yourself up to it. So raising my hand, I'm also on Mm. antidepressants at the moment for some different symptoms as well. And some of which sort of correlate with what you were talking about, Rach, which would be feeling overwhelmed and then moody Mm. because I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed and all of this. But what put me on the exact kind I'm on now, which I'd never tried before, was actually Emma sharing, hearing some of my symptoms and some of the off-brand reasons that Mm. people are prescribed Mm. that. And so one thing just to consider is that it's sort of like seeing a psychologist 
or even a GP mm. or anything else, you might not get the right fit for the first mm. one you try. And so going into it, knowing what's right for me may not be the right fit for you, mm. but I'm really heartened to hear at least, even though it may cause some, not confusion, but just like, is this how I really am? If your mm. creativity is still there and you can be present, your writing is naturally really witty and funny and pacey. So if you've got all that and it's still in there, then I think you're good. <laughs> but it would be mm. really well, disconcerting. It, yeah. You know? if, if, I, if I suddenly became a different person, I don't feel like a different person. I, I, it's it is, it is strange because I'm also perimenopausal. So I've been on HRT for probably about a year and a half now. And there are a lot of symptoms that I was experiencing with HRT that were affecting my sleep, that were mm. affecting my mood, that were affecting me physically, just a, a whole bunch of things that the HRT helped to settle down. And I think that enabled me to be more focused and to, to feel more in control of, of what was going on with my body and my brain and, and my life. I will be interested if I do end up having a diagnosis of ADHD, which I'm, you know, I'm fairly certain I will, to be honest, looking at whether to explore medication for that, for the actual symptoms that were causing my depression and my anxiety, yeah. whether that will change things again because obviously mm. I, I will you know you don't want to I'd be rattling when I walk if I yeah. <laughs> just take more take everything you need one of those and, little and, and, you know, pill you know, yeah dividers and I, and, I, and I don't want to do that but I'm, I'm actually quite because of the the things I've experienced throughout my life related to ADHD and um, if I can find something you know that really does help specifically with that I will be really interested to see what what that does but so I think it's just about looking at, at how you're feeling and, and what your symptoms specifically are there are so many things that overlap with mm. with ADHD mm. with with menopause you know the things that we experience with that with with depression with anxiety and yeah I mean a lot of neurodiverse women have been diagnosed with depression and anxiety because doctors don't want to talk to them about being you know ADHD so it's 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 really complicated. I think, and that and a, and that's why finding a, a doctor, unlike the ones that you first described, Nina, is so important. At the very least, finding somebody that you feel like hears you and is willing to have an ongoing conversation, so that you can go back and say, "This doesn't work for me," or "It's not quite the right fit." It's fixing this and this, and so. It's not a one and done sort of scenario. What about you, Emma? Because I know you're in a, every writer here is in a slightly different place when it comes to their writing and how they're utilizing their creativity or feeling stressed about whether it's firing on all cylinders. And you've had different medications that you've you've had anybody who's read your book should totally understand uh, how you've been going through different things in your life as well, even though it's obviously not a memoir. Where are you at at the moment with how you're feeling with mood and medication or not wanting to be medicated and your access to your creativity? Well, one thing is, I think this is a terrific conversation and I think it's just so important. I'm really glad Nina recommended that we talk because this is the kind of thing we need to talk more about. Mm. For me, I've been on antidepressants now for almost seven years. I actually went on this, the same one that you're on, Ange, again, for a different reason that wasn't depression 
related, wasn't mood related. It was a it was an old school antidepressant that happens to work well for chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. So I was put on it. Um, I was in fact put on this the day after my husband died because I had had this flare up of an autoimmune response of, to the trauma and everything. And I remember her saying that day, you know, it is an antidepressant which probably won't go astray. <laughs> So then I was on that for many years, for um, about six years, and then the condition that it was helping me with went away. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I can sort of gradually take myself off, which I did, you know, under the obviously under under the doctor's um, guidance. And so for about three months or so, I didn't have any antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication in my system. And then I had a dream come true, which mm. was which was this amazing piece of news that I received about my writing. And, and I remember thinking, well, that's amazing. And just not feeling the way I expected that I would have felt at this mm. moment. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then watching other symptoms, and there were some key things that I noticed that are, that were just not me. And one of them was it was Christmas time and I couldn't be bothered watching any of the Hallmark Christmas movies that I normally devour. So I watched maybe one for the whole season <gasps> and I thought I just can't be bothered with this, And which a lot of people would say is quite normal at all times. But for me... <laughs> That was a problem. And then um, so that was another indication. That's something I normally enjoy and I'm not doing it. And then I've got a playlist I listen to and I kept skipping over Dancing Queen. And that was another major red flag. I thought that's not me. And then I also love photography and I just sort of happened to look at my Instagram, my photography Instagram account and think, well, when did I last even post a photo? Like, I can't remember when I last took photos. So I'd realised that I'd let that slide as well. And then all of that coincided with the fact that I was heading into the publication of my book. And I then started feeling a lot of anxiety around that. And I just, as soon as it sort of dawned on me that none of this was me, I just went straight to the GP and got straight onto a, a different medication that's actually better as an antidepressant than the original one, only because it, it's not for the other condition that I had. Mm. So I'm so glad I did that because the whole thing of re- of releasing a book, the media, the podcast interviews, the fact that the book was very closely related to my loss, you know, there was that that was sort of the perfect storm for me falling in a heap. If I didn't have this medication on board is is how I, I believe now, looking back. So I, I do feel a lot more in control. Like you said, Rach, it's a feeling of I feel calmer and more in control and just more in the mood to go and do the stuff that I wasn't in the mood for before, like the photography and, you know, I could probably watch a Christmas movie this afternoon in <laughs> the middle of the year. So <laughs> so I think that's one of the important things is to for us to be aware of those things that we normally love doing and notice it when we're not loving it anymore. And I've had this conversation with quite a few friends where they will, as Nina said, push it away and push off and push through and and that can go on for quite some time. And I just have this experience of, if it works for you, why delay? Yeah, can help you. Just lean on it. It's it's not a sign of weakness or of anything else. It's just something, you know. It's a, a chemical imbalance, or it's the fact that you're under too much stress in life, and sometimes it can make all the difference. So, mm. in terms of creativity, I'm not I'm not sure yet if there's a if there's. I mean, I wrote the last book on antidepressants, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can. 
I can do it. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's it's funny because it, it can help all sorts of things. One thing that comes up for me, having talked to each of you, is knowing that even with an antidepressant that does work in all these other ways, guess what? I recognize that it won't necessarily help which is the mindset mm-hmm. around our creativity and our expectations of ourselves, which when you were talking, Nina, as well as you, actually all three of you, I'm thinking our our expectations of ourselves in terms of white knuckle gripping our way through and or again, looking outside and what we perceive others are doing with no problems that we know of, because it's, it's still taboo, which blows me away. But we assume all of these other people who are walking around and doing a million things. I mean, honestly, Rach, listening to your list is like, no wonder you feel over- overwhelmed and that you can even do. I would have to drop several of those balls. They just wouldn't get done, full stop. But our perception of how it should be for us is what can stop us either number one, from talking to somebody about possibly getting help. I mean, maybe you don't need antidepressants, but you are a perimenopausal or menopausal woman, and maybe HRT would be the go, just getting those things worked out. But Mm. going through the experience of, I think I forget how to do this, i.e. writing a book, (laughs) I don't know that they have a pill for that. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist because it happens to men and to women and to those who are actively in therapy and medicated and those who aren't. So that's some of the discomfort. You know, my place in life has been to try to help ease the suffering part of this creative process, knowing that I cannot make it without its discomfort. It's just how much will you suffer? And maybe that's a little bit about what you guys have been talking about anyway in saying, hey, at least maybe be open to looking for getting help. Mm, Maybe you suffer. I think the other thing is that there's historically been this image of the suffering artist Mm -hmm. who who if, if we are tortured, we will do our best work. And I think it can be dangerous to subscribe to that view because... I don't think anyone should be tortured if we don't have to be. We should also say there are so many other things that I'm, I'm sure all of us are doing and have done in addressing these these issues, you know, psychology and counselling and mindset and mm. all sorts of other things, yeah. exercise, everything. It's not like we, we're kind of just running straight for the tablets, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but gosh, if you can find that pill for the creativity. For I'm all of it, yeah. Hey, if I design that, it. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would, I would totally take that. I mean, I mean, I do, as you were saying, um, um, I, I go to the gym a lot. Like that's usually my, my way of, uh, I think one of my periods of being on antidepressants when I came off antidepressants, I switched to exercise. And so that's usually, that's usually my, my crutch, I guess, is, is lots and lots of exercise. So you do, you try all of the things, you know, you go to therapy and you do exercise and you eat well and you take your vitamins and, you know, but sometimes, sometimes that's not what works. I mean, some people drink wine. I'm, it's you saying about artists being tortured. There's this, this image of, of writers being, you know, with the scotch in hand and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, Hemingway and et cetera, et cetera. 
I've been sober for two months now. And that is actually one of the biggest things that has made a huge difference for me in feeling really in control and, and doing what I'm wanting to do and getting things done and having some clarity around who I am and what I want to say. So, there's, you know, it's all, it, it's all, it's all combined. All, I think all that's a really... I think that's a really a really important point to make as well is that that we as a society still have this taboo around medicating with actual pharmaceuticals but yeah. we self medicate with alcohol we self medicate oh, with tobacco we self medicate with illegal drugs and they're all fine like that's all seen as you just being kind of a cool person mm. whereas self medicating with oh, medicating with the help of a a doctor and a pharmaceutical company is somehow mm-hmm. seen as some kind of failing. And I think it, it is really important to make that differentiation where you say, mm-hmm. and the worst part of depression and mood disorders generally is that the deeper that you get into them, as you described, Emma, they happen really slowly and you suddenly find that you just don't have the energy to watch a movie or to go out and exercise or to, and so you find yourself in this place where you can't actually do the things that you know you need to do. And I think I saw a great uh, interview with Celia Pacola where she was talking about, no, it was her stand-up show where she was talking about how she got herself into this really bad headspace and that she actually had to take medication to get out of the headspace so that she could then do the things that she needed to do, like the counselling and the, Mm -hmm. because that was the thing I have always used my understanding of psychology and the way that people think and the motivators and things like that to work my way through these things throughout my life. And so when I came to the point where my brain just wouldn't connect in that way and wouldn't make those um, connections, and I think I was only two weeks into my antidepressants when I went back to the doctor for a checkup just to make sure that it was working. And I said, oh, yeah, no, no, I worked out that this and this and this triggered that. And that's when I started to spiral. So I had what I needed to do it, but my brain was just mush and wouldn't Mm. connect, like the synapses just wouldn't fire without the serotonin that was was needed. And, yeah, we have this sort of sense that natural is the is best and but natural doesn't necessarily always mean balance. Mm. So we've got both of those things right. I know people who have been on medication long term mm. and there are also people who take medication to do exactly what you were talking about Nina which is to get themselves to a place where the fog clears, right? And you're not extra flawed or broken because you need that assistance. In fact, especially in the US, although I would hazard to say that maybe sometimes some doctors over medicate, but not, you know, across the board, everyone. But the point sometimes is simply to start that process. So Mm. in the US, maybe here in Australia too, you might need to see a psychiatrist and they will medicate, but I think you can get most of them from a GP here. And also then see a psychologist because the goal would maybe be, if this is very short term, that eventually you can take yourself off. I love actually your experience, Emma, in terms of giving an illustration of taking a medication. It does its job. It has these the fallback, like, oh, isn't it handy also now you've gone through this traumatic experience that's also an antidepressant and that you found, okay, all of this is cleared up for what I was originally taking it for. So I'll win on my way off of it. And then you find you need it again. So that's the other thing when we're talking about different medications as well, trying different ones, 
in a conversation with your doctor because some will have a certain effect on you. And that may be the most popular one. I was on one a few years ago and I don't know why we came up with it because I, I really like that GP. I'm not sure. Right. But it was the first one we tried. What And it would be a popular brand, although I can't remember it at the moment. It, I had the worst side effects. I didn't like it. And then I went online and I found about out about the side effects when you come off of it, which felt almost worse than the side effects being on it. But I wanted to come off of it. But it was a kind that was like a gel capsule with little tiny beads in it. And I had to wean myself off of it using sticky tape. All of this I found out on the internet, by the way, because you could only dose down by taking some beads away. So it would be like one day I'll do one circle of little tiny beads. And then the next day I'll do two circles. I don't know what that... So I was very hesitant at this time and before I'd had that conversation with you, Emma, about going back on to anything because I thought I have chronic migraine. I know, you know, antidepressants can sometimes help. I am feeling overwhelmed. Like I don't know where perimenopause and and <laughs> feeling overwhelmed and all of the other things. I don't know where they overlap. I just know, you know, I've reached this sticking point. But I would raise my hand as somebody who was thinking, no, the last time I tried one, that was awful. Things like brain zaps. And if you don't know what that is, mm. don't, don't even look it up. It's very unpleasant. You don't want to have a brain zap. Mm. But I've had none of those. And in fact, the one I'm taking now is a tricyclic antidepressant. The funny thing is way back when, so very long ago, when I was at uni and I needed antidepressants or anti-anxiety, I was struggling with uh, panic attacks, I was put on a tricyclic and they gave me horrible symptoms. And so I had built this little story, you know, where it's a storytelling sort of podcast. I built a story about how me and tricyclics, you know, I'm not allergic to anything, but maybe tricyclic antidepressants. Number one, a few years have passed since I was in uni. And number two, it's not all equal. And so when this was brought up to me and I talked to the GP about it, she said this one, the name brand that I gave her that was recommended by UM, she said, that's not the one I would usually try first when the primary symptom is migraine, but you know, I would use this. And I said, I'd really like to try that other one first. And look, it's, you know, you titrate up. And I went after two days, I feel like you get a false, like, oh my God, I feel amazing after two days. And then you go back to something a bit more normal, but I, ha I really haven't had any of the symptoms that I've experienced before. I'm sorry. And yeah, like I was, so I'm that, very thankful. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, I was the same. It was just lucky that I happened to go along to the GP this particular day. My sister's GP, it was, she took me cause I was in crisis at the time and um, her GP was excellent. And she, she happened to have read an article that said that that particular drug was beneficial for other chronic health conditions like mm. migraines and skin conditions and all of that. And let's give it a go. And sh and she also said it's not what they go to first for depression these days because they're just a better antidepressants than that. But gosh, it, it overnight took away my symptoms and worked for years. And if I forgot to take it, they came back within wow. 24 hours. So it clearly does something. <laughs> <laughs> it's but not I'm just so, a placebo. I'm so glad that it's worked for you. 
Yeah, I have to. Well, the migraines have gone way, way, way down. Mm. And when we talk about chronic, we're talking about almost every day. And even when I do get the spark of one, it's momentary. So I have no other treatment other than Advil at the moment. So that part has been miraculous. Now, kind of like you, Rach, I'm thinking, could I do something where I get to feel even better? So Mm -hmm. we'll talk about, you know, dosages and stuff when I next see my GP. But what's heartening to hear too, and I'm glad that you brought it up, Anne, and that each of you sort of talked about it because I've long held this belief. That idea about the tortured artist mm-hmm. is is a false in terms of the little bubble we think it creates. Here's the truth. Sometimes life will throw us things that feel torturous, but that's not the time you write. The writing and the creativity happen as a part of the processing afterward. So I've always related that to you don't write your magnum opus in the middle of a hurricane upstairs in the attic where the hurricane will come and, you know, or a tornado will come suck you up. (laughs) Yes. Well, and here's the thing. Here's the truth. Could you? Maybe, but you know what? Why? Why would <laughs> you? Like, <laughs> why would why you? Do, would you? do you do you hammer your thumb on purpose, mm. or does it just happen sometimes on accident? Well, you know, giving yourself permission to say, "I will still get these creative sparks. I will still see the highs and the lows of life, but it's not my purview as a creative being to." only experience Mm. them. And I only have creativity if I'm experiencing the lows, right? I was looking at Van Gogh the other day at that sort of the notion of the range of Van Gogh um, paintings, because he is one of the quintessential tortured artists. And, And I was looking at the difference between the, the night, the nighttime one with the swirls in the sky, which is all of these deep shades of blue and the sunflowers. And I was thinking, I'm betting like heck, he was feeling good when he painted sunflowers, which is yeah. one of my favourite, you know. And then, and I, I think there's just a real, yeah, you can go to some really dark places. And I think I personally believe that that writing something deep and dark and true is a, a really great way to connect with readers and to help them to, to go to those dark places and feel safe to do it. But you also want to infuse it with light and, and you know, the way that you do so extraordinarily, Emma, that, that you you write a book about the worst thing that's ever happened in your life and and then you help us laugh most of the way through it, yeah. even while we're crying, like through the tears. And I think the beauty of the highs and the lows, you can't get if you're only writing in the depths of depression because the lows and the dark swirly colours become the only paint on your on your canvas, whereas when you actually go through the hurricane and then write sometimes you can actually do more amazing things. And I doff my hat to you, Rach, because you managed to write the most hysterical rom-coms in the midst of those hurricanes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think that's, that's, that's probably an escape. Yeah, I mean, I still look back and I think I have no idea how I managed to write something so sexy and funny when my 
marriage was completely falling down around my ears. But mm. I think it was just that was an escape. Mm. So that's it, it wasn't like I think it would be very different if I was trying to write something about the disintegration of my marriage yeah. while my marriage was breaking down. I'm 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 writing that now. <laughs> five <laughs> years later five years later. But that's but, that example. Yeah, that, that, that was right? an escape. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, exactly. And and I love because I know we've had the conversation before, probably on this podcast about how you'd done that, right? That you found a way to escape the tumult that was on the outside. You shut the door on it and got to escape. And you bring up a beautiful example. Mm. You're only examining the chaos that was then now that you have some distance and perspective. Ultimately, what I love hearing from each of you is that there is no pure line saying, number one, I, number, I have to be tortured to write and I have to feel bad doing it. And two, that you're, it's a cop out to get help. In fact, if you are struggling to show up, like Emma, you were describing with your photography as an example, if you're finding it hard to show up Mm -hmm. for a creative outlet that you loved before, then actually going and getting some assistance. And if it's medication, so be it, that may help you back to that thing that you love. So rather than being counterproductive, it's actually the thing that's going to free you to show up again. And similar to what you'd said, Nina, getting yourself through the fog, it's really hard to Mm -hmm. see any visuals that you might share in the written word, if you can't see past, you know, a couple of feet in front of your face, because it's all just not coming together. So without saying everyone needs antidepressants, I was going to just say thank you so much for each of you as well. And especially thanks to you, Nina, for thinking of this, because it is a topic that I think far too many people are still keeping hidden. And when we talk about how we assume people are getting through their day, being able to successfully do all these things, and they just handle it so easily, how does she do it all, that sort of thing? Well, we don't know what's actually happening. And by being open Mm. and honest about the assistance, just even verbally, right? Coming in and sharing with each other, or you am sharing with me, hey, this may help if you want to talk about it with your GP. Being open about it gives permission to others to say, what are the ways or what are the things I might be able to do that could help see me through short-term, long-term, or something in between? Thank you all so much for coming on today's podcast. I cannot wait to talk to each of you again. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.